we suddenly heard the gunshots and explosions followed by screaming, babies crying, people running. Hadil Mohammed is one of many doctors on the front lines of medical services in Khartoum. That's the capital of Sudan, and it's the epicenter of the conflict now unfolding in the region. We were scared to death with all the noise. Patients injured with gunshots and bleedings were everywhere. Healthcare in Sudan was already severely overburdened and understaffed, but now it's on the brink of collapse because of the fighting between the paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, or the RSF, and the country's army. Mohammed says the fighting trapped the hospital staff and patients inside the hospital. Me and my colleagues have spent days in a devastating situation doing surgeries extracting bullets from patients, and uh, with time and the lack of supplies, eventually we lost most of the patients at the ICU. When the hospital was attacked by the RSF, Mohammed says they were forced to close. Across the country, thousands of medical staff can't get to the injured because the fighting is so intense. And while many doctors like Mohammed continue to do what they can to help, There hasn't been much support from the international community. I've seen in the news a lot of the evacuations, planes and ships to evacuate people. And I wished for them to bring some of the needs with them. But that unfortunately didn't happen. Monday marks the 24th day of fighting for Sudan. Numbers from the United Nations show that over 335,000 Sudanese have been internally displaced, and about 123,000 have crossed borders to other countries. My journey is just like, it seems like it's going to be a very long journey. So just wish me luck. I will let you know what will happen to me. Muja Khatib is 42 years old and lives in Khartoum. She has been keeping an audio diary for NPR documenting her struggles to get out of Sudan. Good afternoon. It's day six. I spent a a hard night yesterday. Day seven, or first day of eight. Day 10. I couldn't sleep the night before. When we first heard from her, she was still at home, unable to leave because of the fighting. I'm just tired. I'm sick and tired. Everyone is leaving the city now. The issue is that I don't have my child. Consider this. With Sudan on the brink of collapse, Muja Khatib and her son have to make the difficult decision to leave their home and everything they have behind in Khartoum. We'll follow them on their journey. From NPR, I'm Elsa Chang. It's Monday, May 8th. Support comes from our 2023 lead sponsor of Consider This, Capital One, offering their premium travel card, Venture X. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Details at CapitalOne.com. It's Consider This from NPR. Muja Khatib lived in an apartment in Minayeri, south of Khartoum. On the morning the conflict started, she woke to several phone calls. We can hear 
the sound of of the bullets of the shooting if we did not die on the street we will die inside our house one of my friends he's an army officer he called me eight times and i said what's wrong with him and when i called him back he told me like where are you don't leave your house because the war is started Khatib rushed out of her apartment to buy food. She heard gunfire and could see plumes of smoke rising over the city. NPR's Emmanuel Akinwotu has been in contact with Khatib, who has been keeping a diary throughout the conflict. Akinwotu takes it from here. I first spoke to Khatib the day after the conflict erupted between the army and the rapid support forces. She was devastated and hoped it could end as suddenly as it started. But then each day, the violence continued and grew more intense. Hello, uh, this is day four. She started to document what she saw and felt, recording on her phone and sending me voice notes on WhatsApp. Uh, since morning, I couldn't eat anything. I'm not in a, in a mood to eat, you know. I'm just in my flat alone. This is the first time that we don't have electricity. And this was since the afternoon. And I'm not sure if you hear just... The bombing now. They are bombing. As the fighting spread, and while without power, enough food or water, she started to plan how to escape Khartoum, but not without her 15-year-old son, Fadi. Uh, hi, Emmanuel. Good morning. Uh, we are not fine. I'm not sure if I can see my son again. Her son had stayed for a few nights with family friends in East Khartoum and was meant to come home on the morning the conflict started but now it was too dangerous to cross the city. I called where my son is staying and I asked about him. And they told me he's okay. He's sleeping, but he's sleeping under the bed. So it seemed that he's afraid. She missed him, but for now she had to wait. Hi, this is day five. Within uh, days of yeah. the conflict, there were hundreds of deaths and a spiraling humanitarian crisis. Hi, Emmanuel. The news about the safe exit. There is no safe exit. There is no truce. The army and the RSF announced temporary humanitarian ceasefires to allow safe exits for civilians and the injured. But they never held. The fighting never stopped. I can see the smoke and there are also there is a shooting, bombing and other things. So it's not true. General Abdul Fattah al-Bahan, the head of the army and de facto head of state, is at war with his deputy and former ally, General Mohamed Hamdan Dagolo, or Hemeti. Both sides claim they fight to protect the fragile transition to democracy sparked by the revolution. But few believe this is anything other than a bloody struggle for power, with the country destroyed in the crossfire. I'm sick and tired. Everyone is leaving this, the city now. The issue is that I don't have my child. Day 7, or first day of Eid. Khatib never imagined spending Eid alone, but she had no choice. The streets were quieter, so she went looking for where she could buy food, all the while thinking of Fadi. Maybe at any point my son will come home, and when he comes, I want him to find that I prepared some cookies for Eid. Eid is the end of Ramadan, 
a Muslim celebration and a time to be around family. But now she was at her lowest point. Day eight of war. I couldn't sleep last night. And I decided that I have to bring my child by any means today. Her friends had been telling her to stay where she was, that her son was safe. But the fighting was more intense where he was in East Khartoum, so she felt she had to get to him. Later, she described walking in a daze through the streets, past checkpoints, under jets and the sound of warfare, until she reached him. I have a good news for you. I arrived home safely with my son, and I'm so tired, and I feel hot, and I'm hungry. Now I think I can start to make my plans. That night, they celebrated together. On the way home, she managed to find a grocery store that was open. She bought everything they loved. I bought eggs, uh, more processed meat, cheese, tomatoes, frozen strawberries so we can make juice at home. I bought two liters of Pepsi. And some things were just for her. I found my tobacco for my hookah, for smoking. I bought all this stuff, I collected, and I returned back home. My son is finally home, safe. We cooked the burger. We had burger sandwiches at home with cheese and tomato slices. Then the next day, she gave all her food away. She found a woman nearby who sold tea. I opened the fridge and I took all the meat, all the food I have at home and I gave it to, to the tea lady. She felt so happy that I... Then they packed their things and left their home. Days later, they arrived in Paluj, just inside the border with South Sudan. She, her son Fadi and thousands of others camped outside a small airport used by oil workers with few commercial flights and most of the refugees unable to afford them. She described a desperate scene that mirrors the other border areas around Sudan. Uh, there are no service, no toilet, no drinking water. Now there is like initiatives for helping people in the airport, uh, bringing water uh, through water tanks and filling it. But it's not uh, good for people to drink from it. Also, there is no food. But they were among the few lucky ones. After five days... A stranger paid for her and Fadi's flight to the South Sudanese capital, Juba. The challenges from here are daunting, like rebuilding her and Fadi's lives and dealing with their trauma. But at least she's safe, at a friend's family home. And despite her worries, I hear her laugh for the first time since the conflict started. Uh, in Juba, I'm staying with my friend, that she's my friend and my colleague from the university. And, my sis- and she's also my sister. And we are staying in her relative house, both of us. <laughs> He's a very lovely guy. He's also a pilot. There are like 50 people in his house, but it's a big house. So we are like just like four or five people sharing the same room. <laughs> and, and kids are all around <laughs> from morning. <laughs> The reporting you heard was from NPR's West African correspondent, Emmanuel Akinwotu. He tells us that Muja Khatib and her son are still at her friend's uncle's house and that she's found a job working one day a week as a doctor. But she is still hoping to find more work.
It's Consider This. From NPR, I'm Elsa Chang.